It was lying on her deathbed that Catherine Lani started wrestling with doubts about God. It's like I came in here to have a baby, not brain surgery. How is this happening? And so I just started to pray the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and it would fall off. And then I just said, where is God? Is everything that I ever was taught in Catholic school, and my grandparents, you know, it was everything I ever learned because I wore the scapular, I said the, the, the rosary daily. Was it all a lie? And just this, just this dark fear came over me, you know. The response to this fearful question was a vision that Catherine still struggles to this day to put into words, a directive from God and the unlikely origins of a new, aspiring religious community in formation in Detroit. As Jonathan Rumi would say in The Chosen, God is doing something new. He's doing something very different. And so that's what's happening. That's what we're doing. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by Weingarts. Everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, Weingarts has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment, and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.weingarts.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you. A warning to our listeners. This episode contains a story about infant loss. For Catherine Lani, religious life was never really on her radar. I was the only girl in the Italian family, and, you know, they wanted me to get married. But there was never talk of uh, entering a religious community. In my teenage years, like I said, I always had a deep love for Our Lady, but I, I knew that I would have a family. I just knew that one day I would be married and have a family. Catherine met her husband, Mike, at an Italian dance in high school, was engaged at 17, and got married after graduating on the Feast of All Saints in 1972. So it was a big day, a beautiful day, and you know, a beautiful holy day, All Saints Day. It was just huge in my heart. They purchased their first home across the street from her parents. Her husband went to work in construction, and Catherine was soon pregnant with their first child, a little boy they planned to name Joseph Anthony. They painted a nursery, Filled it with a cradle, a rocking chair, tiny adorable clothes, and little board books. I mean, we were both so happy and excited, and, um, you know, I was very, I was young, so I was very afraid of childbirth. I was so, I didn't know how all this was going to happen. I mean, I I knew how it was going to happen. I was just so afraid of uh, giving birth, actually. Before giving birth, Catherine started to hemorrhage internally and Joseph Anthony died moments before she gave birth to him. Yeah, it was very devastating, probably for about six months. Um, that door uh, in, in the house stayed closed, the nursery, you know, and, and I didn't want anybody else to do it. I knew it was something I needed to do, um, but all I did really was just cover things up with sheets and coverings, and, um, you know, I, I, I was... Uh, looking forward to one day when the time was right to have more children. But it was devastating for us. We went through a rough time, a rough rough spell. Catherine and Mike went on to have two more daughters, Maria and Benedetta. And then, in 1986, Catherine was delivering their third daughter, Elizabeth. Once more, Catherine started to hemorrhage. 
I was on my deathbed. And so, you know, the doctor said, you know, you're not going to make it through the next hour. We've called your family and they're all here waiting for you. And so it was, I didn't get to hold the baby even right after she was born. They just rushed her off to the nursery because they were dealing with me. And um, I was hemorrhaging profusely. So much so that as they were coming in and out of the room, they were slipping and yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. And so they were doing everything they could do to keep me alive, to see my family. They did a partial hysterectomy because mm -hmm. of the hemorrhaging, but that did no good. Mm -hmm. I was still hemorrhaging. Every educated doctor around me, because they called in surgeons, whoever was in the hospital, mm -hmm. they were calling in, and nurses, etc. And um, they were saying, yeah, she's not going to, like I wasn't even there, right? She's not going to make it. She's not going to make it. And then my doctor said, you're not going to, you know, you're, you're not going to make it, Catherine. It'll be a miracle if you make it through the next hour, hour and a half. So in my heart, it's just like, a, you know, I just couldn't fathom that. She began to frantically pray Our Fathers and Hail Marys over the noise of medical cacophony and persistent announcements about her dwindling lifespan. And then I just, I had the Holy Spirit gave me two recollections, uh, two visions, if you will. One of my grandmother when I was really young, and she would every year take us on a pilgrimage, my brother and me, to Cary, Ohio. And this one particular year, she was crying. And I said to her as we were on the bus, on this long bus ride, and I said to her, Grandma, because she never showed any emotion. She was like this tough little Sicilian lady, you know, from the old country. And, and why are you crying, Grandma? Why? And she said, nothing, nothing. And I said, no, why? I saw I saw that you were crying because she tried to hide it from us. And she said, your your aunt is very sick. And things don't look good. you got to pray today for your aunt. And this particular aunt had, well, she, was, she had a lot of things. But anyway, she had kidney failure. So one kidney was already gone. And the other one was almost not working. She needed, Grandma said she needed a, um, transplant and so she was going to the praying to the Blessed Mother for a transplant for my aunt and uh, I remember <laughs> I tell this story all the time I remember walking into the cathedral and there's a big foyer in a long aisle way to where they have a beautiful um, statue of the Blessed Mother Our Lady of Consolation and as soon as we got into the foyer my grandma got on her knees and she crawled all the way to the front of the altar imploring blessed mother and I, I never forgot that and on my deathbed back then that's one of the visions it was the faith of my grandmother so strong and she believed my aunt had a healing she never needed a transplant she had a total radical healing and she's still living till this day right so she outlived the whole family on my dad's side and then um the second one was on my father and I was a little girl, I got up in the night and, well, it was early in the morning, but it was real, real early in the morning. I was walking across the kitchen to go to the bathroom and I looked out the picture window, it was a window this big. Looking out the picture window, I saw my father kneeling before the statue of Our Lady in the backyard. And then he got up to go to work and he turned around and he looked at me and he smiled, he blew me a quick kiss and, and waved at me. And when he came home that night, I said to him, Daddy, he said, yeah. he said, I saw you this morning kneeling outside in the backyard by the Blessed Mother statue. Aren't you embarrassed that somebody's going to see you outside in the middle, you know, the yard kneeling in front of the Blessed Mother? He goes, no. 
I do that all the time. I pray for my family when I'm not here, when I go off to work, that everything be okay here at home. Those two memories spared Catherine's life because they dispelled her fear and gave her the courage to pray on her deathbed with the confidence of one who knows God will answer. And he did. And that's when, just seconds later, I don't know how long, Blessed Mother appeared standing right next to my bed. And she was so beautiful. There's no one as beautiful. Never, everywhere, anywhere I've been, Italy, museums, uh, you know, uh, Holy Land, every, any Poland, anywhere that I've been, I've never seen any picture, anything that depicts the beauty of Our Lady. There's nothing in this world that is as beautiful as the Blessed Mother. And the, the clothing that she was wearing was just like nothing I've ever seen. You know, it was it, this beautiful silky-like kind of material. Um, and it was just light and flowing, and but not, not, um, it's something, I don't know how to say. I don't know how to explain it. Just you, you could relate to it. It was, it was just so beautiful, but very natural. Nothing like you would see on Broadway shows or, you know, any, any, you know, any kind of thing like that. I did not see a, a, a crown on her head. She wasn't at all like that. Um, she was like mother. She was just mother. Beautiful. It was, it was her warmth, her smile, her softness, her gentleness, and yet her strength that um, is her. And I said to her, I was begging her, Blessed Mother, I beg you, go before the throne of God and beg for me, beg for my life. And she was, she was radiant and she was, she just had this look at, on her face, the soft, precious, warm, and I just, I had no more pain. My pain was gone. I just felt like I was in a warm, cozy blanket with no pain. And she just stood there and I, I expected her to levitate or do something, hand me her rosary or something, you know. And she didn't do any of those things. She never even spoke a word. She just, you know, just looked at me, had a soft smile. And I begged her again. And then finally I said to her, Blessed Mother, I beg you. I too lost my only son. And although I did not see him go through the horrific things Jesus went through, he was my only son, and now I can't have any more children. I beg you, go before the throne of God and pray for me. You beg for me, Mother, that I may be, live, that God may spare my life, though, that I may live to raise my children and my family. And, and she just bent down and she touched me. Her touch was just a heavenly, but an earthly, like a motherly thing that mothers do to console their children. They, they go down to them and, you know, to calm them and that's what she did for me and it just changed everything in my life before I could no longer see her I said to her one day mother I would do something good for Jesus starting a religious order was not what Catherine had on her mind she thought perhaps a mass of Thanksgiving or teaching catechism classes so she did those things three weeks later when she was well enough to go home she had a mass set of Thanksgiving she started teaching catechism at St. Tecla's and St. Ronald's in Clinton Township when her youngest turned two, she started returning to daily Mass. And I thought he, I was good with God. But that wasn't all that God had in mind for Catherine, and he made that clear. So in 1992, Jesus appeared to me. It was a beautiful September day, and I remember my husband got up and he said, uh, Kath, I'm going to take the kids, uh, I want to show them this job. He did some kind of special cement work and wanted them to see it. He was proud of it. 
And um, so he took the girls, and I thought to myself, this is perfect because I could have some quiet prayer time. He left, and I remember um, I had the door wall open in the dining area where I was, and it was a picturesque kind of a day. So I was praying, and I finished saying all my prayers and whatever, and I went over to the to the table and started to divide up some things that I had picked up for a couple other teachers and uh, catechists. And in the midst of that, I heard a voice say, continue to pray. And I never heard anything like that before. So I just thought, you know, maybe my husband came home and he was outside in the yard and he was teasing me or something. And so I went to look out there and nobody was around. And so I thought, oh, I must have been praying so much and maybe, you know, just my, it's in my head and whatever. So I went back to doing what I was doing, totally ignoring that. And then uh, a voice that seemed to fill my whole house said, continue to pray. And it was earth shattering for me. It was powerful, it was loud, it was strong. And the first thing that came to my mind was Oh my God, my life was spared back when I had my daughter. And now, you know, God is calling me home. And so I thought I was going to die. She tried to make it across the house to where they had a statue of the Blessed Mother. Because I thought if I'm going to die, I want to die in front of the statue, Mm -hmm. you know, the blessed statue of Our Lady. And um, I never made it across. The next thing I remember is I was laying flat on the ground and I could not move a muscle. After, I don't know, a short period of time, I was able to lift my neck, but I couldn't even move a baby finger. I could not move anything. And so um, as soon as I was able to lift up my head, uh, without being able to move any other part of my body, I lifted up my head, and I could see the feet of Christ. And then within seconds, I was raised up, not on my own, I was raised up and I was looking into the eyes of Jesus. And he said to me, Catherine, I desire a total healing of every strata of the church, beginning with the priesthood, all the way down to what he called the massacre of the Holy Innocents, worse than what happened in his time. So, I remember he started saying all this stuff, and it was, I couldn't even comprehend what he was saying. I, I didn't even know that there was any problems with the priesthood or, the, you know, the church and sisters and anything like that, the stuff that he was talking about. So at some point I just remember realizing the light that he was in, this magnificent light, and in all I could think of was, you know, I'm a sinner. And that's what I was saying. He's talking to me and he's telling me this important stuff of which I do not understand. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And that's what I kept telling him. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And then at some point, we had this, I had this, like, I call it a spiritual open heart surgery. It was just like everything I ever did wrong in my life. Every sin I ever committed was in front of me. He told her to form a prayer group and to found a religious order of women who would continue to spread the message of divine mercy. He told her to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, a prayer she had never heard of before. It was all far beyond her scope of understanding. Um, And I was so taken 
you know, in the moment of what what is happening and just trying, like my brain was just like trying to understand what happened, what's happening, what, you know, because I never had anything like that before. And, and um, it was so powerful. And the things that he was saying, I knew they were really important. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I, I knew he was really important. In the aftermath of grasping her experience, Catherine was in a daze. Suspended between the ethereal and earthly, she struggled to take any steps towards Christ's directives. Coming off that moment was not easy for Catherine. She felt like she had a foot in each world, and furthermore, she felt isolated by this experience. Who could she talk to about this? Who would believe her? And it was kind of like things were just put on a shelf, you know, and um, yeah. So for like six months, I suffered. I, I was like walking, like half of my body was hanging down here on earth and half was up there in heaven, just trying to connect the two and, and make sense out of everything. And this is not a, an ordinary day. The thing that I'm talking about that happened was something that was extraordinary, something that I never heard of or, you know. I mean, I thought maybe those holy saints back in the day, you know, whatever, but I never imagined that this was, a reality of our time or anything like that. So I spent, like I was saying, that six months was a lot of suffering. It was a, 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 a you know, a very, I don't want to say a traumatic, but it, it was, I don't know the word, you know, I don't know the word. It was a, a, a very painful, a, a sweet painful, if you will. One of the things Christ had asked her to do was to speak with a holy priest about the vision and his directives in the seal of confession but the possibility of being mocked and disbelieved held Catherine off from doing so. Who's going to believe this? I mean, I don't know if I would believe it even from somebody, you know, somebody told me this. And now I have to go to this priest, some priest, and, you know, explain this. And like, you know, how's this going to happen? Uh, so the suffering, plus I have a family, I have a husband, and you know, and... Um, I didn't even talk to my husband. I didn't even tell him what happened because I just couldn't. I couldn't. But six months after the vision, Catherine was talking to a friend about caterers for their daughter's graduation parties. When out of nowhere, her friend blurted out, You know, you should see a holy priest. It was the obvious Holy Spirit nudge that gave Catherine the push she needed to finally speak with a priest. She went to a priest she trusted, Father William Benici, the pastor of St. Tecla's at the time. I just never forget that. It was like, you know, going into the confessional and and talking to this priest and vomiting everything without giving, you know, without taking a breath, it felt like, you know. And, um, and he was dead silent. I finished and he was dead silent. And I remember he looked down and he looked up and then he looked at me and he said, and he pointed his finger at me and he said, if this is from God, this will bear much fruit. If this is not from God, I feel sorry for you. God help you. And that was it. He told her to return in a month, and the month after that, and another, each time he asked her to retell the story. In the following months, Father Benici and Catherine took steps toward one of the first requests Jesus asked of Catherine to start a prayer group. It started with 12 people at St. Tecla. They met regularly to pray the rosary and the chapel of divine mercy. Father William would give various teachings and they read through the entries in the diary of St. Faustina. In 2003, with the blessing of Cardinal Adam Maida, 
the group became a formal lay apostolate, the servants of Jesus of the Divine Mercy. Then it grew to different areas, different churches, adding more people, and then eventually they opened the Divine Mercy Center, today called the Shrine of Jesus, the Divine Mercy. For, as is explained in their mission, to give people a peaceful place of refuge to come and experience the mercy of God with love and compassion. But there was still one more thing Catherine said Christ had asked of her, to start a religious order. The Lord revealed it many years earlier, you know, and I talk about it in my book. Many years earlier, the Lord revealed that there would be a women's community, a religious order of sisters that would be wearing white. And they were to be called the Sisters of Jesus' Merciful Passion. And so that's when I, 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 I just remember, wow, someday some holy nun is going to come up, you know, through the whole movement of Divine Mercy and start this women's community. Um, I, it never, ever came in my mind that it would be me ever to, to begin this women's community because it wasn't my life. That religious life was, I thought, you know, you have to be a sister. You have to be a religious sister. And, and yeah, that's normally how it happens. So he is doing something very different. I mean, it's not uncommon for women. It's happened, St. Francis Cabrini, you know, and so on, who have, were married, had families or whatever, but their spouse dies and they, you know, feel a calling to religious life and begin a religious community. As far as a married woman, a woman doing this, um, I, I'm not aware that it's ever been done. It may, but I'm not aware of it. In the fall of 2012, Catherine received permission from Archbishop Vigneron to begin work on this new community of women, the Sisters of Jesus' Merciful Passion. The statutes and bylaws were approved in 2016, and then in 2019, Archbishop Vigneron gave his approval and blessings for the women interested in discerning the community to begin living in common on the property of the Divine Mercy Center in Clinton Township. They now have the mission of spreading the message of Divine Mercy as revealed by Jesus to St. Faustina with the charisms of holy hospitality and spiritual direction. On April 11, 2021, Archbishop Vigneron blessed and dedicated the Divine Mercy Center as the newest archdiocesan shrine, the Shrine of Jesus, the Divine Mercy. Today, the Sisters of Jesus' Merciful Passion strive to make the Shrine a place where visitors can encounter the mercy of God through a 24-7 prayer line where those in need can call to speak with a sister, regular Mass, Eucharistic adoration, and spiritual healing. Since their founding, they have three sisters and one affiliate member. What happens are probably the least noticed and the most monumental things. I would say that people come from all different places and wherever, um, and they'll come for a quiet appointment because of something going on in their life or sickness or trauma of everything you could imagine. We've had every everything you could possibly imagine come to the shrine of whatever, sin, brokenness, sickness, you name it. Um, and in the quiet corners, the quiet, usually the office or most frequently in the chapel, but some things are just too private or whatever to talk about in public, um, that we just, you know, there's intercessory prayer for that person, prayer for healing, and, um, and a person is healed. So 
I've seen a lot of impossible things happen here. For Catherine Lani, her hope is that the lay apostolate, the Shrine of Jesus the Divine Mercy, and the sisters will help to communicate to visitors the message she so deeply felt in her vision in 1994. The love of God for every single human being is so deep, so far, so wide, so vast. It's incomprehensible to aching mankind that he suffered because he loved us so much and had mercy for us that he suffered what he did on the cross so that we could live and we could live in a holy and a good way, healed, even as we walk on this earth. It's the deepest understanding that God loves everyone. Like he said to me, one by one, Catherine, and everyone counts to me, everyone. So that's what I speak with the sisters and teach all the time. Every person that God puts in your path, they're the only focus that you have in that time. Just like he said, Everyone, one by one, everyone counts. And that's how he wants people to be treated. One by one, not in mass groups, not anything like that. I mean, and it's not, I don't mean that we can't get together and, uh, you know, not that. It's that when we encounter a human being, when we encounter one of God's beloved people, that we treat them like they're the only person in the world. That we listen and, and pray for them and their, their need. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by Weingarts, everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, Weingarts has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment, and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.weingarts.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you.